Catholic institution of higher education is a place of learning, but it's also a place of witness. It's where young people learn to know and live their faith. It's also where the culture at large can encounter the wisdom of Christ. Join us today as we discuss the witness Catholic colleges and universities are called to give with our special guest, Patrick Riley, founder and president of the Cardinal Newman Society. I'm Michael Hernan, Vice President of Advancement at Franciscan University in Steubenville, Ohio, and you're watching Franciscan University Presents. Stay with us. Welcome to Franciscan University Presents. Today we'll be talking about Catholic higher education. I'm your host, Michael Hernan, Vice President of Advancement here at Franciscan University in Steubenville, Ohio. I'm joined by our regular panelist, Dr. Regis Martin, Professor of Systematic Theology here at Franciscan University, uh, as well as Dr. Scott Hahn, who holds the Father Michael Scanlon Chair in Biblical Theology in the New Evangelization, again here at Franciscan University. And we're happy to welcome Patrick Riley, uh, the founder and president of the Cardinal Newman Society. Uh, before, uh, you've been in the Catholic press, the secular press, talking on Catholic higher ed, uh, but before the Cardinal Newman Society, you were the executive director of Citizens for Educational Freedom, and you also are an analyst for both the House uh, Education Committee and the U.S. Department of Education, which I didn't realize, which is great. That's right. Uh, you have a bachelor's degree in political science and communications from Fordham, as well as a master's in public administration from the American University. So, so welcome, welcome to the Thank program. Um, so we're talking about Catholic higher education, and I think it's important to start with kind of our, our big picture, our mission and purpose. What really is the mission um, of Catholic higher education? Well, a, a Catholic college or university has, is by its institutional commitment, this is the wording in Ex Corde Ecclesiae, which is the church's guidelines for Catholic higher education, by an, has an institutional commitment to the faith. So okay. it brings into everything that is proper to higher education an understanding that everything begins with God, everything's created by God, and that God is the fount of all truth. So okay. if a college or university is dedicated to the truth, that is the, the definition of a university, a dedication to the truth and to all fields of knowledge, okay. that it brings into that the truths of the faith, no matter what a student is, is studying. And many people will disagree on uh, the secular world, on, on the, all these barriers that they try to create with academic freedom. But the mission, many in the Catholic world will disagree with that. <laughs> I mean, that sounds pretty revolutionary, really. I mean, in yeah. the context of today's uh, yes. Uh, setting. I mean, most Catholic educators would say, well, we're just like the secular university, right. but we provide this wonderful veneer of faith. That's this right. Facade. Yeah. We sometimes mention God. Yeah. But yeah. this idea that God is the source of truth and, you know, all truth comes together in a, in a way that is united and universal, I mean, that's not even Christian yet, much less Catholic, because, I mean, right, in a yeah. certain sense, that theistic perspective would reflect a classical Greco-Roman understanding that you could find in Plato or Aristotle, though not refined, of course. And so mm -hmm. I think it's precisely the, the, the marriage of faith and reason that mm -hmm. you are so good at, that we're so committed yeah, to yeah. here as well, that kind of takes it to the next level, as Ex Cordia Ecclesia points out, that it really is the, the two orders, the natural order of creation, but then the supernatural order that has been ushered in since the eternal Son of God became man. It is the, the union of that which represents to, to all of us in Catholic higher education 
the, the highest calling that you can have right. to contemplate and, and to teach that. And the very fact that you know, Dr. Martin says that that's revolutionary, which it is for yes. a lot of people today, uh, shows how revolutionary our society is from the past. Yeah, you know, as right. you said, I mean, these, these things would have been generally accepted by even the lower classes of society. You know, uh, yeah, even the, the less educated yeah. would have understood that, that God is in everything and, and that's the foundation. Yeah, I, I think of a text from Justin Martyr from the second century who, who declared, everything beautiful belongs to us. Yeah. Everything is sort of a baptizable anticipation of Christ. Right. If, if you circulated a memo like that today, uh, it would really be shocking, uh, offensive to a lot of sensibilities. And yeah. many of those Catholic. Mm -hmm. yeah. you know, it would also be shocking just to go back 50 years to the University of Chicago and the Great Books Program mm. and the search right. for the light of reason which illuminates right. truth. I mean, yeah. that was so daring back then, it would be considered so retro today, yeah. you know. Yeah in a postmodern point of view. You know? that's right. All right, so, so if, we, if that's our purpose, just kind of tripping off of that, it, it, looking back in the past 50 years, what is the greatest challenge, or what's really changed in, in, in to Catholic higher education in the last 50 years? Well, there's what's been the one, one huge change, and that is with Ex Cordiae Ecclesiae, which St. John Paul II uh, issued in 1990. Right. It was the very first time that the church actually officially formally defined what Catholic higher education is and ought to be. Uh, the very first universities, proper universities in the world, in Europe, were either established by the church or heavily sponsored by the church. Right. Uh, ex corde ecclesiae means from the heart of the church. The university grew out of the heart of the church. And yet, for all that time, there was no real uh, clear attempt to define what Catholic higher education is. Uh, uh, Blessed John Henry Newman, from whom the Cardinal Newman Society takes its, uh, its patron, uh, uh, brought the church very far along in an understanding of what a Catholic university ought to be. But it was with Ex Corde Ecclesiae that the church formally defined that. Up until that point, Catholic universities, Catholic colleges were basically places where Catholics did the university thing. Right. And because, as, as we discussed, there was just this innate understanding from the very beginning that the way you approach as a Catholic, the way you approach various disciplines is understanding, you know, the fount of truth and, and bringing that into the classroom. That's what happened, mm -hmm. but it almost happened by, you could almost say by accident, uh, accident in the sense that it wasn't formally defined as the mission of the university. Yeah. Uh, but it was brought in because we were Catholics. Today, we have to define it because right. so many Catholics don't naturally bring this into the higher education. Was, was there a moment, you know, Ex Cordiae Ecclesiae helped clarify, crystallize what we believed, yes. and maybe, maybe uh, took for granted maybe on some levels. Uh -huh. Was there a, a direct threat? Uh, was, there, was there a tra challenge? Or was sure. it a slow drip, drip, drip uh, of things that happened in Catholic higher ed that watered things down? Well, there, down. there's certainly been a drip, 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 but there were watershed moments. Uh, in the United States, the, uh, the Land of Lake Statement was right. issued in 1967. 67. And uh, uh, led by Father Hesburgh at Notre Dame. Uh, uh, Describe what that was. Yeah. The, the Land of Lake Statement essentially said that a Catholic university, in order to be a proper university, has to have independence from the church, yeah. okay? And uh, at the time, as Father Hesburgh has described it since then, the intention was more of a legal, formal independence from the church. But as we know, even as individuals, the further we get from uh, They wanted to build a wall of, of separation. 
Right. If we don't recognize the authority of the church and right. assume that there's authority that's that's inherent in us, that's independent from the church, yeah. we lose our way. I mean, if, if so the university emerges from the heart of the church and, and you dissociate from that heart, then it stops pumping. There's no right. blood. Right. Uh, it's devitalizing and you die. That's right. And it didn't take very long. You know, really I was just listening to a lecture in a seminar recently on medieval history, and it had to do with the origin of the Catholic University. Right. And the Cluniac reform that the Benedictines advanced for a century or two had brought such renewal throughout all of Europe, thousands of these abbeys and monasteries. But the Cistercians created this sense of, well, you don't have to go out to the monasteries, you know. Peter Lombard came from the Cistercian formation that he had, and it was like, let's bring the monastery to the world. Mm -hmm. Well, how do you do that? Well, that's the university. Mm -hmm. The idea that you don't just have to leave the world to kind of become holy. You can take the grace of the monasteries and bring it to the world, bring it to the universe. Mm -hmm. And the university then is this attempt by the church to bring the truth of Christ in every area, but especially law and theology, philosophy, and so on. But it, it was such a striking perspective to see it that way, yeah. that it really was at the heart of the mission of the church. Yeah. On the other hand, this same presentation pointed out that when you look at 12th century French Catholic culture, everybody analyzes it in terms of church and state. But he made the point that when you go back and actually study the primary sources, they never refer to the Bucelles as church and state because King Louis, though he was what we would call the head of state, was baptized and confirmed and married in the church and united to the bishop. He was laity and they were clergy, but they're together church. Right. So it's not church and state. It's clergy and laity forming a sacramental organism. Mm -hmm. And in that setting, the state is not something separate from the church, nor is the university separate from. That sort of pretended autonomy takes place centuries later, right. and nowadays we're blissfully ignorant of our own history. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's yeah, right. and we look back at that and, and, and put our own assumptions of today, our separation right. today on history, which is- They're artificial, they're anachronistic, and they're very confusing. So, so we have the university really beginning, birthing from the church. Mm -hmm. We have a time where that was always assumed and faith and reason was, was part of the life. It was just the air you breathe. Mm -hmm. And then there was Land O'Lakes and other things that began dividing a wall of separation between the church. And so now as we kind of fast forward today, you know, why, why is it that today Catholic universities, too many Catholic universities are not, are not distinct from their secular counterparts because the, the idea of university came from the Catholic Church. Right, right. We are called to that. We now have a defined document. What, what's, what's going on? Well, there are a host of things that you could point to. Uh, you know, certainly in the wake of World War II with the GI Bill, we had a number of non-Catholics coming into the universities. Okay. And so there are all these influences. Uh, certainly through the, in the 1960s at the same time as Land O'Lakes, there was this, you know, drive to rebel against authority and pull away. And Cultural this revolution. certainly was, was probably more than anywhere else exhibited on college campuses, including our Catholic institutions. So there are all these different influences that came along. I think ultimately, I think you can bring it down to infidelity mm -hmm. uh, is really at the root of all of this. You know, when Pope, John, when Pope Benedict uh, in 2008 came to speak to Catholic educators at Catholic University of America, um, he said that, that the contemporary crisis of truth is rooted in a crisis of faith. And I think that statement is so very important that we cannot simply uh, dismiss these as intellectual battles between various philosophies and, and, and you know, you get into academic freedom and all these questions of how you, it, ultimately it comes down to, do you believe in God? 
Right. Do you believe in Christ? Do you believe in the mission of the church? And if you do, you will do Catholic education in the way that Catholic educators did it for centuries before. So we have a crisis of faith. Uh, exactly. You know, building on that, because I think you're absolutely right. The thing about infidelity, though, is that it's gradual. You know, That's you right. don't just say, today I'm going to take off my white hat and put on a black one. I'm going to be an infidel. Yeah. You know, and when you go back to the 50s, you begin to see the emergence of, you know, on the one hand, the heyday of American Catholicism, you know, where Bing Crosby is pretending to be a priest on, you know, yeah, on, yeah, on the yeah. silver screen. And you have Fulton Sheen winning Emmys. You have a JFK elected to the, I mean, it's like Camelot, you know. Mm -hmm. At the same time, you have peer pressure. Because the great Catholic historian at Catholic University, John Tracy Ellis, Father Ellis began publishing a series of articles and books looking at the intellectual tradition of American Catholic higher education. And he branded us as being inferior. Mm -hmm. And whether it's true or not, you know, he gave us an inferiority complex in the late 50s. And it spilled over into the 60s so that when Father Theodore Hesburgh gathered all of these college and university presidents at Atlanta Lakes and they issued this statement, which, you know, 50 years later looks relatively innocuous, mm -hmm. but at the time it really was a declaration of independence motivated in part not out of explicit infidelity, but out of this desire to kind of keep up with the Joneses, you know, to show the secular schools, the Harvards, the Yales, and the Princetons that were once, ironically, Christian themselves, mm -hmm. that we can do research and scholarship as seriously and as well as you do. And there's nothing wrong with that motive, but at the same time, what price you pay is precisely what you point out, yeah. because you're really saying, okay, we're going to separate ourselves from the church, which means from the bishop. The, right. the successor to the apostles, the one who really represents the church as it is here and now. And to, you know, to us as Catholics from a sacramental perspective, that's a betrayal. Yeah, I mean, yeah. It is, and I, I think with Ellis, whether it was Ellis or the interpretation of Ellis that's that came it. out, you yeah. know, the spirit of Vatican II, you could say the spirit of Ellis, but what came out of that was this sense, uh, you know, as you said, that that we should be able to do it as well as these other institutions. That's right. And I think w the minute you begin with that premise or, or that challenge, you're missing the point because right. Catholic education inherently does it better. And different. It has to do it better. That's I, right. You can have far less intellectual professors, far less experienced professors, but because you're starting with the fount of truth, because you are not dismissing uh, the very core of, of every discipline that you, you study, uh, if you're going in to study, I don't know, uh, you know, something in science, uh, cellular biology, yeah. and you're doing that without a, an appreciation for the order of, of being and, and, you know, going back to Aristotle and, and an understanding of, of God and, and how the world is created, if, if you're going into it without that, you're, you're missing right. so much, That's and you right. can have the right. most brilliant professor in the world, yeah. but I mean, There losing. is a sense in which there ought to be even a Catholic chemistry, not, not in the details, but the overall design, right. the telos, right. the purpose of the architecture of being That's is right. Catholic, and yeah. we need yeah. a more comprehensive appreciation of that. That's right. Yeah. And if that's true in the, in the physical sciences, the natural sciences, it's even truer, I would say, in the social sciences, where you're that's looking right. at psychology, sociology, things that once belonged to the realm of moral philosophy. You know, you know when you go back to the 1700s and 1800s, even in non-Catholic universities, these things were not just autonomous, secular disciplines. They were rooted in a whole order of truth that is related to God. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, right. yeah uh, Stay with us for the next segment of Franciscan University Presents.
Well, oftentimes people think that uh, you, an academic can't serve two masters. You're either committed to the, to the Catholic Church teaching, kind of fudge on the academic stuff, or you're really into the uh, faithful to the academic stuff and you kind of ignore church teaching. But I don't think that that is given as the truth in the model of the church uh, with respect to, to the balancing of these two. I think fundamentally that the church has shown us to be uh, com deeply committed to the truth. Uh, an example of this would be um, the, in the medieval church, scholars are, are recognizing that it was very much set the way for the development of empirical science. So I would say that it's, it's definitely not an oxymoron to be a, a, a Christian or Catholic academic. Uh, certainly, uh, I believe that, that this is the, uh, the birthright of, of a faithful Catholic academic is, uh, is, is finding successfully the truth. People recognize Franciscan University as being academically excellent and passionately Catholic. We have the unique opportunity through our faculty members, through our students, to proclaim that academic excellence by reaching out in many different ways. We also remain passionately Catholic in the way in which we are able to worship, the way in which we are able to bring that love of Christ to others on a daily basis. It's important for us to be able to embrace both. Welcome back to Franciscan University Presents. We've been talking about Catholic higher education with the founder and president of the Cardinal Newman Society, Patrick Riley. Um, so Patrick, w when it comes to faith, um, when we're looking at uh, Catholic university students uh, on, um, on Catholic campuses to teach the faith, to bearing witness to the faith, living the faith, what are the universities, what is a Catholic university's obligation to its students in that regard? Well, uh, Blessed Newman wrote about this extensively uh, and, and beautifully where he talked about, you know, in those days it was, it was men, it was all, the colleges were all men, and he talked about young men leaving the home with all of these passions warring in their breast. Hmm. You know, their, their ambition, their, you know, excitement about getting out there, their sexuality, their, uh, you know, all these different things kind of wrestling within them at that age, you know, okay. these young adults. And we certainly see that in today's culture because young people are pulled in so many different sure. directions and and he said that it was part of the task of a of a catholic college within the the households within the college realm to to bring all of that back together and to order it rightly and to have them you know kind of put it all in its proper places and and it's so extremely important in catholic higher education to do that you know we talk very much in in the church documents it's discussed very much about how Catholic education's, uh, one of its primary purposes is formation, this integral formation. It's just not just intellectual, but it's intellectual, physical, moral. It's that integral formation of the young person. And I don't think we talk about that enough. I mean, certainly a place like Steubenville and some of the many colleges that are out there really doing it well do talk about it. But in higher education in general, we need to talk about higher education as a place of formation, yes. not just simply a place of, of warring ideas with no <laughs> yeah. it, grounding. It, it, it really does depend on how high the vantage point is. And, and historically, the church has understood her mission as trying to get people to heaven to mm -hmm. ensure uh, That's right. the easiest possible route uh, so that the beatific vision uh, hmm. may be their destiny at the end of, uh, of time. And so everything ought to conspire to make that happen, including a university experience. I think here at Franciscan, we take that pretty seriously. Right. The classroom 
I like to think it's the centerpiece, but it spills over into every other area of life. Every aspect of the human person, I, I think, has been addressed by the grace of Christ and, and ought to be reflected institutionally in what we do, what we stand for, what we oppose, because we care deeply about the student. This student is an immortal soul destined right. to live forever. And the choices that we make on his behalf ought to be guided by grace. Mm. That's right. Mm. You know, oftentimes we treat the university as though it's an end in itself. It really is a means to an end, the formation, an integral formation of young men and women mm -hmm. to really become saints, but at the same time to become citizens and become fully and truly human. I've had a kind of running debate, a conversation with my oldest son who's getting his PhD in theology at Notre Dame. And, you know, when he began, for him, the university was sort of the, the be-all and end-all. Not Notre Dame, but just the idea of a Catholic university, academic rigor and all of that. And I would say, yeah, the ecclesial, though, you know. And, and now, you know, we, we, in our conversation, he, he's looking into history and he's showing me that I was wrong. You know, the university is really a luxury item. I mean, it's useful, but only if it really is ordered to that kind of goal, that end, you know. Mm -hmm. And what, he's, what he was showing me was historically you go back and before the University of Paris, it didn't just come out of nowhere. In the Carolingian period, you have centers of instruction, but it was for study and prayer. It was not That's just right. for monks, it was also for lay people, but it was for young people to learn how to study and grow in prayer as well as intellectual understanding. And those, some of them, became universities. But I think that recognition, that integral formation of the person toward heaven, I mean, this is sort of a sine qua non. Without that, what do we mean by Catholic university? Because ultimately, right. that, that is the declaration we're, we're trying to make as a Catholic university, that we want that integral formation. Right. Uh, obviously, it doesn't happen in a lot of these places. Um, but, but is that, as Regis and, and Scott are just pointing out, I mean, some people might say that that faith, that faith formation, simply is an activity of the chapel, uh, or or some you know right. even not not I mean, related look, to you. Look but how you know. far we've come from the origin of the university, say in Paris, right. uh, to a, a place back in the 70s where Pol Pot and the other architects of the Cambodian Holocaust were educated right. in Paris That's by right. intellectuals, shaped in ways that are odiously nihilistic, and the yeah. harvest is death. Okay. So we've come a long way from life to death, from sanctity to sin. That's right. Yeah, yeah. You know, I'll, I'll frequently, in, in my talks, I'll frequently refer back to Thomas More, St. Thomas More, and he, he had a law education, but his law education was deeply imbued with philosophy and Latin and studying the classics and having an understanding not just of the letter of the law, but an understanding of the human person and what is the law all about. And, uh, you know, when we look back at St. Thomas More, we certainly look upon him as a highly educated and, and intellectual man. Uh, but more importantly, we look on him as a saint. Right. And, right. and that's what, you know, when we are trying to form young people in Catholic higher education, we want them to be St. Thomas Moores, yeah. not, yeah. not simply the intellectual, but the... And, and you know, he didn't think of himself as a divided soul, you know, right. subject to what right. we call the dissociated uh, sensibility. Right. He was the ideal of the Renaissance humanist, but at the same time, uh, he had spent time with the Carthusians. He was profoundly, passionately in love with Christ, devoted to the church. Uh, he was an undivided man, a man for all seasons. That's right. Truly, truly. You know, and he, and he really embraced, you know, a Catholic Christian humanism. I mean, he came to the defense of Erasmus, 
who was retrieving the classics, but always within that spiritual context of the Catholic faith. You know. right. so, so what kind of problems have happened on, on campuses? You know, what, what are we seeing erupting on college campuses when they relegate you know, faith simply to the chapel or some uh, separated little area? You know, they have, there's the free speech zones on some campuses. Is there a, a, a faith zone on campus yeah. where it doesn't? Yeah, well, you know, very, not long ago, the, you know, in loco parentis was the, you know, the idea in, in, in place of the parent, the, the college or university was intended to had the sense of formation that the yeah. campus life was was integral to what the college or university should should be. Uh, today, I think it's more live in la vida loca. You know, it's, <laughs> it's it's everything goes, and and this is very deliberate. I and mean, we talk uh, when we talk to many Catholic colleges and universities about some of the problems. Uh, you know, it it runs the gamut. It's everything of the culture coming in yeah. and this sudden freedom from the parents and freedom from all restrictions that, right. that happens on the campus. So so I I can't get into too many details about it because some of but it we all know really, the headlines. Things right? that we look at going on the campuses is really offensive yes. and 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 so. horrible. Um, and we do know, yeah, we do know the headlines. And these things are happening on, on many college camp Catholic campuses as right. well as, as elsewhere. But when we talk to the colleges, there is a clear sense and a clear message that they do not see themselves as responsible for the behavior of students outside the classroom. Right. And that they simply have, have absolved themselves of responsibility. They will provide a dorm where they can live in. Right. Yeah. They will provide uh, certain you know, facilities and, and things because they feel that that's necessary in order to provide a campus environment right. but there's no intent to shape that environment right, and right. you know they'll have a campus ministry just like you'll have at a state university right. and you know when I went to uh, a large Jesuit university I got there and I remember just being surprised that in the four years that I was there never once was I invited encouraged to go to mass right. I mean, not yeah. once right. there was <laughs> so many students not going right. and no intentional push first and it was this sense of well we can't push students they're yeah. they're young adults and it was such a reaction misguided you know I, when I was at Marquette studying under the Jesuits I would run into alumni who had studied there in the 50s and they would contrast the way it was and the way it is you know that you had religion every semester all four years you had to go on an annual retreat all four years you didn't have to go do it with the Ignatian exercise under the Jesuits, but you had to check off a box and explain where you went on a retreat, you know. Yeah. The philosophy formation, I mean, it was so integral and thorough and common. Every mm, Catholic right. school, you know, places like Steubenville or Christendom now are considered exceptional, but they were ba they're, they're basically doing today right. what all Catholic universities right. in It was ordinary, it was that. normal, That's it was right. accepted. That's why it's extraordinary now, <laughs> you know. So when we think about, you know, I have two faculty here, so I'm going to throw a little uh, challenge out. But, you know, what role do faculty play? Because, I mean, you think about it, we talk a lot at Franciscan about the life of the mind. We talk about the vocation of the student. And a, and a key player in that um, is the faculty. What role do the faculty have in the identity, uh, Catholic identity of these universities? Uh, well, at some institutions, the faculty will actually have a lot of interaction with students outside of the classroom. Um, I don't know that that's, that's essential to the position of the faculty member, but I do think that what is taught in the classroom has to have relevance to life. Right. Okay, so you begin with, you begin with life, you begin with reality, and that's what informs what you're teaching and how you come at it. But there's also another side of it, and that is the application and the, and the, the relevance. 
Um, so I think that that's key to, to a Catholic institution. And at many institutions that, that do very well, the faculty will be involved in the student life. Now, you go back to Newman's university, uh, he had the, the Oxford model. So whereas today, you know, even at our universities like Franciscan, the campus life, the, the, the life of the student is entwined in, in the university itself. Right. In the Oxford model, you kind of have the university structure that's responsible for the teaching, and then you have the college structure that's responsible for the, the student life, and both are extremely important. Uh, either way, uh, you know, there have to be these mentors, you know, in, right. in the college structure there were the rectors who, you know, Newman wrote extensively about how the rectors need to make sure that the students are going to mass every day, that they're maintaining a rigorous right. uh, schedule uh, throughout the day of study and prayer uh, and, and integrating their life in a proper way. That was very important to the Because yeah. I've, I've heard just from too many friends who went off to notable Catholic schools who have one thing preached uh, in the chapel and like, something like. contradictory oh, yes. in the classroom. Yes. And so they go and they are learning and they're being mentored and shaped right. by yeah. right. uh, men and women who are abhorrent to the faith. They, they, they are, they're, they're teaching contrary to the faith. I mean, it, and, and that seems to me finally a failure of love. Mm -hmm. uh, if you push yes. that bifurcation too far, you end up with schizoid students. And that suggests you don't really care about them. Yeah. You're indifferent to them. Uh, the head and the heart go together. What happens in the classroom is terribly important, but if it doesn't somehow penetrate and inform the whole person so that he takes that knowledge and witnesses to the world what he knows, yeah. then it's as if he doesn't know anything. Yeah. This really also illustrates the in loco parentis, that in the place of parents, because so often when I've seen my kids go off to this school, you know, what I began, other colleagues complete, you know, right. and I can go down the list of my six kids and identify which professors mentored them and really became like spiritual father figures, you know, oh, yeah. and communicating truth in literature or philosophy or economics because they had a wide range of majors including math. But I mean, it was the interpersonal interaction, discovering truth together that shaped their whole life, not just their intellect, but their imagination, their conscience and other things too. And I think this is why, you know, if you're really loving those students, you're going to not only give them the truth, you're going to live it with them as well. Yeah, yeah. that's a powerful witness. I just know as an alum of Franciscan, and I know this is true maybe for other uh, strong Catholic faithful uh, universities and colleges, where, where there is this full engagement, yeah. this full integration, where in the classroom and on the athletic field and, you know, in the cafeteria as well, obviously in the chapel, where there is an integrated life, there isn't this separation, right. which truly yeah. shows a person then how to live afterwards. Because if you go to a place and you've got just this one section that has fidelity to it, but the rest is a bunch of garbage, mm -hmm. you're going to be living a bifurcation. You're going to have a life that's going to be separated. You're going to have faith and life now, two separate worlds. Right. And that's, that's a danger. Yeah, your life is, it is a bundle of lies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so as, as we look at Catholic higher ed right now, we, you know, we, we don't want to go through all the examples, but what, what are some of the, uh, the fruits of a lack of that cohesion and that integration, if you will, of the formation that's happening on college campuses? Well, we've certainly seen the statistics. I mean, students, uh, Catholic students going to Catholic colleges broadly are losing their faith. Yeah. Uh, large, large numbers of them. And, and it's not as large as at the secular institutions, but what we're finding when you really dig into the, the, the data is that 
there are an even much larger number of students who are graduating from, from Catholic colleges and universities that still identify as Catholic. That's right. Ugh. But dissent on, from all the on, teachings on very yeah. significant teachings. And, the, you know, it's hard to really say that they're truly Catholic at that point. Um, and so, uh, you know, that's, that's the fruits. And, and uh, you know, we, in a broader sense, you know, you may have Catholics who are, remain in the faith. They may continue to go to Mass. They may, uh, you know, do that. But you don't have this. Today, we don't have a real vibrant Catholic intelligentsia, right. Catholic influence in the arts, Catholic influence in Hollywood. Huh. We, we don't have this because we don't have the, the young people who have really been formed in the way that they need to be. We have thousands upon thousands of graduates coming out of Catholic universities. Where are they? Yeah, our world is in need of it. Stay with us as we pick up the conversation at the next segment. Well, as someone who spent a long time in non-Catholic education, I can really testify to the difference that a specifically faithful Catholic education makes, and not just to the spiritual life, for instance, of our campus, but specifically intellectually. Being well-formed in the Catholic tradition is super important. It's important because it calls us, for instance, to read the great books and not just read whatever seems latest and greatest, and not to succumb to what C.S. Lewis called chronological snobbery, this idea that whatever's last is best. That's really not true, and the more you read the great books, the more you see that. I'd also say that we ought to uh, inculcate in our students in a faithful Catholic university uh, intellectual virtues, virtues such as the ability to distinguish what's really important in a given debate from what's peripheral, and the ability to distinguish style from substance. I am a communication arts major, the president of film club, and an editor for Franciscan University Presents. It's really great to be able to work on Franciscan University Presents because it is a national television show on EWTN, and in a lot of other schools you're not going to have that kind of ability to put that on a resume. When I graduate, I know that I'm going to, to be firm in sticking with my faith and you know going to daily mass and a frequent confession and things like that. Because instead of just learning with my mind or just focusing on schoolwork, I, I actually you know can grow with my whole person. Franciscan University is academically excellent and passionately Catholic. Welcome back to Franciscan University Presents. This entire program springs forth from the very heart of our campus here in Franciscan University in Steubenville, Ohio. Um, our students are operating the cameras and equipment. Uh, we're in the communication arts studio. Our panelists are faculty here at Franciscan University. We've been talking about Catholic higher education with the founder and president of the Cardinal Newman Society, Patrick Riley. Um, when we look at, uh, we've been talking about the students, we've been talking about the witness, the mission of Catholic higher ed, and some of the real challenges. Um, but what is the calling or what is the opportunity, I guess, that um, Catholic universities have to witness to a larger culture uh, beyond the borders maybe of its campus? Well, in a certain sense, uh, the, the university's task is, is not without its borders. The university's task is to educate yes. right? and, and to form, and, and it's focused within. However, in doing so, the church has repeatedly said that Catholic education is uh, an instrument of evangelization. It is, is one of the key instruments of evangelization, of evangelization for the church, and evangelization is the mission of the church in this Amen. world. And so the, uh, the Catholic college and university in doing what it does 
ought to be having an impact on the culture. Hmm. And uh, another thing that comes out of the church teachings is that Catholic education, ought, one of the key tasks of Catholic education is the critical transmission of culture. So in education, we transmit the culture, we pass on our literature, our history, all the, all the understandings, the science, everything that we've collected as part of our culture. But a Catholic institution needs to do that critically, hmm. especially today when our culture seems to be going in, in such a strange direction. Uh, it has to be done in the light of faith, and it has to be done critically, always examining culture, and, and sometimes coming to the judgment that things need to change. Yeah, I mean, and if we're not transforming culture, culture will transform us. Right, that's, right. Right. And that's what right. happened in the 60s and 70s. And even before Ex Cordia Ecclesia came out in 1990, when I got here, I remember it yeah. was just a great time for Catholic higher education. The, the Vatican had already recognized the need to kind of set things right within their own pontifical universities, which had kind of begun to stray. So Sapientia Christiana was sort of like the set of norms to kind of get them back in line. Right. And then we shifted from the pontifical universities to the Catholic universities that are out there, mostly in the West, but throughout the world as well. And you know, back in 1990, there, you, could, you could count on one hand the number of Catholic schools that were taking ex corde seriously. Mm -hmm. You know, now, I think 25, 26, 20, a quarter of a century later, you realize, wow, I mean, there are a lot more. There are. That's right. Yeah. yeah. Like, Which I mean, is encouraging. We, you can't exactly describe that as an avalanche, but there has been a movement uh, yeah. which I think is uh, is hopeful and and progressive in a good sense. The it glacier is. I mean, is we recommend <laughs> more than it's about ten percent of the Catholic colleges as model institutions of Catholic identity, and there there's a lot of a lot of good things happening in right. the other institutions. I, I see two issues here uh, that that are sort of jostling in in my head at least. On the one hand. Uh, you want to shape the culture in a Christian way, otherwise it will shape you, misshape you. Mm -hmm. uh, penetrate the culture, and, and the university has uh, an important role to play, indispensable even. But the other issue is, who's shaping the students uh, inside the university? And it's not simply a function of what you put in their heads. I mean, do they come away with a sense of the urgency, the vibrancy of the faith that they have been taught, uh, instructed in? Right. I mean, does it matter? I mean, right. is there the fire in the belly? I mean, that was the discovery that Luigi Giussani made back in the mid-50s. The students he knew, he taught, had book knowledge. They had understood the catechism. They could pronounce transubstantiation, but none of it mattered. None of it mattered, and the moment they left, it was all, it all dissolved. It wasn't a lived reality. And so when the 60s yeah. burst through <clears throat> the ceiling, they were utterly unprepared, right. bereft and carried off exactly. into captivity. And I think that's the, the challenge. I mean, certainly the, the good, strong, faithful institutions in this country have, been, have had an eye toward that. But I think that's the, the next step, I suppose, the next challenge of the good, strong, faithful Catholic institutions in this country is to, to try to step that up. I mean, our, our culture mm -hmm. is declining so rapidly. Right. Yes. And we are in such great need of Catholic leaders in every walk of life. Yeah. Um, uh, who are going to go out there and evangelize and and uh, you know practice apologetics and bring other people to the faith and bring Catholics back to the into the fold and to do that they really have to have that it, it's more than the understanding it's the application and it's the leadership qualities and it's the ability to it's the rhetoric it's the ability to speak and to yeah. present and the and the and the fire as you said it's yeah. it's the 
I, I believe that the Holy Spirit is working in many very exciting ways within the church, yeah. and we need to invite students to to latch into that and to, to embrace that to call. And to embrace right. it. Yeah, yeah. So we, we we know that the Catholic University's first fruit are our students. You know, the alumni that are right. out there are our measure, uh, if you will. The metrics that that really matter right. are our, is our mission being effective? Are we having those students who have been formed so they can be leaders? Because our world is is broken, and they need whether it be in the sciences and nursing, wherever, what, whatever programmatic career vocations, we need uh, them more than ever. Um, and that's the first fruit. And maybe, uh, we kind of be, began on this, but maybe the second fruit is the direct impact we could have in the culture as a Catholic university. Well, what are some specific ways that a university uh, can really impact that culture or have an influence uh, for Christ in the culture? Yeah, well, I said earlier you know, that a, a university needs to be focused on education. It needs to do what it does. But there are ways to do what it does that does have, have not just an indirect impact in the sense of its graduates going out into the world, but a direct impact. And, and so, you know, I look, uh, we spend a lot of time looking at these colleges and universities and all the wonderful things that they're doing, the wonderful faculty, the wonderful things that they're teaching. Are there ways, without distracting significantly from the work of the college or university, that that can be brought to the wider world? Okay. You know, so MOOCs or okay. you know, uh, 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 using Massive technology. Online are there ways to bring these things to the wider world? Uh, are our faculty publishing? Are they are they yes. out there in the media? Are they out there? you know, commenting on what's going on at the same time that they're teaching yeah. young people. You know, are we out there really doing that? And, and, I, and I'll, I'll say, you know, we're on a show about Franciscan University. You know, I knew Franciscan University before I really knew anything about the university. I knew the graduates. Okay. And, and that was what impressed me about the institution was the graduates and the fact that they were ready to go out there in the world. Yes. And the second way you know an institution and an institution creates uh, you know, a reputation is by its faculty and by mm. the fact that its faculty are out there uh, people need to see that. Yeah. I think you need yeah. to showcase the faculty and, and I know Franciscan University does that very well. And, and a number of these other institutions are. We need to just but keep what, doing wouldn't more. you agree that we're sort of in an utterly unprecedented uh, uh, state? Uh, we can't really draw immediately upon the insights or the examples of somebody like Newman because Newman lived in a different world. Right. It, it wasn't Catholic, of course, but it was Christian, recognizably Christian. But more importantly, it was human. Leon Cass speaks of a post-human culture, which isn't even a culture, a nature that has been so denatured. I mean, it, it's not just evangelizing that we have to do. We have to humanize people. That's right. And the culture is so toxic, right. uh, is so determined on destroying the soul right. that we have to go back to bedrock. You know, at the same time, Newman's idea of the university is such a classic and such a guiding light, and yet the university failed. And it didn't last very long, you know. Uh, and I think there are lessons to be learned from an opposite problem, and that was the clericalism in Ireland at the time, yeah, in right. Dublin, you know. At the same time, we can see, you know, the late great Archbishop Fulton Sheen saying a comment like, you know, if you want your kids to lose their faith, send them to a Catholic school. I think we have to step back and kind of contextualize that because, right. you know, in the 60s and 70s that was common, but at the same time, many kids kept their faith at Catholic schools. But you know, in the 70s and 80s, when there was a period of retrenchment, you know, 
Christendom. And there were other schools, too, that were started, like Thomas Aquinas College. And then there were other schools like our own that were sort of refounded. The College of Steubenville became Franciscan University. And I don't want to go down the list, but at the same time, I can see that steady drip, you know, and it's yeah. becoming a stream. It's not yet a river, but it's on the way to becoming that sort and of thing. And speaking of clericalism, where is that coming from? You know, you had, you know, you had Father Scanlon and you have, you know, certain clergy who are really leading the charge, but a lot of it is from the lay. Lay initiatives, and, that's and right. And many of these institutions that have started, especially in the last 20, 30 years, are all lay initiatives. Right. And even the ones and that are coming back, like right. Belmont or Benedictine, have lay presidents exactly. who are taking right. that kind of apostolic like initiative as well. Faith. Right, and yeah. so, you know, we see this throughout history, you know, the Warren Carroll's history always focused on, on the people who made a difference. Right, right, yeah. We see yeah. that in Catholic higher education, that there are individuals who are leading the charge and are really making a difference in Catholic right, education. Yeah. And, yeah. and we, we need more of them, but... And there are more of them exciting. coming. John Paul the Great well, Catholic they're, they're coming and others too. Yeah. Right. I mean, it's, when, and it's so encouraging when you see those signs of hope, because I, I just remember the, the days where there were two, three options of, right. of faithful Catholic universities, which is shocking to say that. Yeah. Um, but, but since then, I mean, I know the university through the years has had many college presidents and others come and say, how did you do this? How did you right. make this happen? Uh, although we were the, the first to take the oath of fidelity, happily we're not the only ones anymore taking the oath of fidelity, saying we'll only teach what the Catholic Church teaches. There's a lot of hope out there. And you, yeah. you said there's about maybe 10% that are on the somewhere in the process of That's embracing right. uh, fidelity. Well, these are the ones we hold up as models. There are many more that are, you know, probably another 10, 20% that are really moving And when you say we, strongly. you mean the Cardinal Newman yes, Society? I, yes, so this, is not, this is not impressionistic art. You have criteria, exactly. objective norms that you, you apply right. to and all of these the schools. Right, the norms of the church, right? That's right. They're not our norms. And, yeah. and these schools that come to you and say, here is the evidence that we are, in fact, doing it now. Right. And again, quarter of a century ago, this was not happening. That's right. Well, and there, were, there weren't options. And so, but right. today what you're doing is offering a great service to parents. Although we think everyone should come to Franciscan University, it's not the right place for everybody. They won't all fit. They won't all fit. That's right. <laughs> you know, if, if, if I could personalize it, uh, uh, in your case, Patrick, uh, I mean, you're a product of, of a school that was probably hijacked back in the 60s and 70s, spearheaded right. by, uh, by bonkers uh, Jesuits, uh, and yet I, I you survive. survived. <laughs> you survived. <laughs> what, what enabled you to somehow flourish? Uh, what enabled me? I, I don't know that I flourish. I, to be honest with you, uh, one, of the, one of the greatest temptations that I have in the work that I do is going to Steubenville, going to these other colleges, looking at what's going on there, looking at what the young people are doing, and I have so much envy. I have so much, why didn't I get that? That's not yeah, fair. Yeah. You know, I, I wanted that, but I didn't get See, it. See, now you're and harnessing so, all of that in right. the cardinal, yeah. <laughs> and so as an adult, you know, I'm trying to get it in part through educating my, my children, but, uh, you know, you don't ever get that back. You yeah. don't get that formation back. And yeah. so, so I struggle in my life, uh, you know, with, with not having had that formation, and it does make it difficult in life. And so, you know, I think I come to this work with that understanding mm. that there is a real, uh, there is a real loss when young people don't get that formation. Right, right. And parents, with all the goodness in their hearts, entrust their children to, to Catholic education and think that that's what they get. You know, if the center of the universe is the mass, uh, and I think Pope Benedict spoke about this when he said, the, uh, the witness of, of beauty in the liturgy and the witness of sanctity from those mm -hmm. who are shaped by the liturgy will change the world. Right. But at these Catholic schools, nobody goes to Mass. Yeah. 
Amen. We have what, three or four masses a day and yeah. we're, uh, we're, we're just overflowing. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. That's Probably. the difference, I think. That's the sundering difference. It's huge. Holiness. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, but there, there, is, there is so many. I, I just want to encourage you and thank you for your work because there's so much well, that parents you. need to, to look at because so much happens in there. We're saying this on the break, but they're paying money oftentimes for their, their, their kids to lose their faith when they go to these colleges that have no, no idea what they're being taught in the classroom, what they're being taught in the residence halls and on the athletic fields. That integrated uh, formation isn't happening on too many uh, college campuses. So thank you for giving us a guide for parents uh, to really look forward to. Stay with us for our final segment of Franciscan University Presents. We would expect at any institution of higher education that a student is going to be formed intellectually uh, in the particular subject matter that they come to the university to study. But at a Catholic university, it's much more than the intellectual tradition that they engage. Students are formed to be men and women of faith, both spiritually, intellectually, but also formed in human formation so they can go out and embrace the life that God has called them to, to live in our secular society, to bring sanctity, to bring holiness to whatever occupation God invites them to do, and ultimately to form them to become saints. Welcome to our final segment of Franciscan University Presents. We've been talking about Catholic higher education with Patrick Riley. Regis, could you start us off? Yeah, I just thought of something. Uh, there's a, a, an advertisement, a commercial that runs uh, on television about the scourge of cancer. And you have these people saying, you took my husband, you took my child, you took my hair, but we're going to kill you. We're going to defeat you. I, I feel that way about Catholic higher education. Parents, I think, are entitled to feel a fair amount of resentment because their children have been swindled mm -hmm. and at a fairly high price. I mean, if you're going to lose your faith, you might as well lose it uh, at, at Ohio U. But if you have to go to a Catholic school and pay extra uh, for that theft, I, I think you're entitled to be really bitter about it. Uh, and that, that's one point, uh, and that I think should make us want to redouble our efforts to restore something like sanity and truth in advertising. I mean, the, the, the faith at a Catholic university should not be like a smoking zone. You know, we put up with this, but it's sequestered. It's far enough from the center uh, that we can tolerate it. Uh, we're, 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 we're in favor of diversity. Right. And, and we permit this as an option, but we don't really sanction it. And we think it's pretty bigoted and retrograde. Mm -hmm. I mean, that I, I think is, is, is despicable. The, the other point I would make is that in, in ages of, of great faith, nobody had to talk about the faith. I mean, Maritain makes the point that in ages of great beauty, nobody was writing treatises on aesthetics. Mm -hmm. They were drenched with a sense of beauty. If, if Catholic education was doing all right, we wouldn't need you. We wouldn't need ex corde ecclesiae, and you might have to find another job. But we're stuck, we're in a crisis, mm -hmm. and so I'm grateful that you're doing your best. And Thank it's you. pretty darn good to try and uh, rid uh, this, this world of the scourge of uh, bad Catholic education. Mm. Thank you, mm -hmm. Scott. I echo that. I want to commend you for the work in the Cardinal Newman Society. I also want to recommend the Newman Guide for parents and grandparents and godparents too so they can really assess what it is that these young people are looking at and considering for options. 
Uh, I also want to go back to something that you said earlier about the, the, the church's mission of evangelization because the new evangelization has been with us now for many decades and it's not going away. And the definition of the new evangelization is not initial evangelization. It's not telling people God loves you, you've sinned, Christ died, now convert. The new evangelization is re-evangelizing the de-Christianized. John Paul made that very clear and everybody since him. But you recognize that if this de-Christianization is the result of a profound secularism out in the world but that has come into the church and sometimes especially Catholic universities, you can see that conversion is necessarily ongoing. It's not just going to happen your freshman year, first day. Right. It's going to be ongoing. It's going to be ever deepening. It's not going to start getting easy because it's talking about taking up your cross, but it's also applying the cross to all of what you're doing and studying and living. You know, I would, pro I would propose that there is no institution within the church better suited for the new evangelization properly understood than the Catholic University, mm. because that's precisely where this grace of ongoing conversion, where this grace of reformation can take place, so that you know, instead of just being more and more secularized, you really are going to be sanctified. You're going to see what Christ can do for the whole of creation. And again, coming back to that, I commend you and recommend that Newman Guide. Yeah. Well, thank you very much. Uh, you know, yeah, it's certainly with regard to the new evangelization, I think. Uh, there are so many wonderful, exciting things happening with the new evangelization, but we tend to identify it with things that are sort of wide but shallow. Right. Right. So we're we're bringing people, we're introducing them, we're getting them excited, but the 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 depth, the formation that comes in Catholic education. Yep. And so, with regard to parents, you know, I just strongly encourage parents, Catholic families. To, to really take a close look at Catholic education and, and to consider it the priority. Uh, you know, certainly sometimes there are good reasons not to go to Catholic institutions, but, and, and there are certainly financial difficulties, but uh, the things that Catholic education can provide, and we talked about some of that today, that you simply cannot get in another education. And in fact, you know, it goes to the point of Cardinal Newman, uh, Blessed Newman actually said that a secular education is not properly a full education because mm -hmm. it dismisses the, 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 the faith. It dismisses a whole segment of truth that's right. foundational to everything yeah. else. If you do that, you can't really have a proper education. And so I strongly encourage that. And on the flip side, I think Catholic families have to be careful about secular education, especially today. Now that's not to say that, that students can't go to a secular school and get a good education and keep the faith, but the challenges are much greater today to the faith and uh, very often what you're doing is sending a good son or daughter off to, uh, to evangelize at these institutions and you're paying a heck of a lot of money for them to go there and do that without getting the education that they deserve. And that's what, you know, we want them to get that formation at Catholic schools. Yeah, yeah. Thank you, Patrick. Thank you. If you've enjoyed today's program, we have a, a free handout for you, The Crisis of Truth and Renewal in American Catholic Higher Education by Patrick Riley, an article uh, that you can get at faithandreason.com um, or just for asking. Um, when, when I think about Catholic higher education, it, it's hard for me to not think about my, my alma mater here, Franciscan University. And in, in the 1960s and 70s, as we talked about, we had a, a revolution uh, that was leading a, a separation between church and, and the, the Catholic higher education. And we had Father Mike Scanlon really carrying a banner. And um, although there were others out there, it inspired uh, so many others. I think we need that today. I think we need that re 
inspiring of where we're going in our country, in our world, because Catholic higher education can be at the center, as Scott and Patrick just shared, at the center of renewal in the church. And, and for me, I've, I've been in politics, I've been in business, but as a father, I couldn't imagine sending my child to somewhere where we're going to pay for them to lose their faith. So I want to just encourage parents, grandparents to get involved. Let's set a higher standard of what a Catholic university should be. Let's not settle for only 10% uh, being faithful. Let's go for the full on every Catholic university needs to be held to a higher standard. So if you're giving money to your alma mater and they're not faithful, let's question, let's challenge, let's move them in the right path. If your parents don't settle for just, just half of a good thing. Uh, poison is, uh, rat poison is 10% is poison and 90% food. Let's not feed that to our children. There is real truth that we need to impart to our kids. We don't just need to, to create a Catholic ghetto, we need to transform our world. And if we don't embrace truly Catholic education that integrates the formation in the classroom and out of the classroom so that they can live that reality, our world will be a darker place. But the universities are going to shine a light when we embrace that and we say, what can I do to help embrace uh, my Catholic university, embrace that, you know, that, that, that greater calling uh, to evangelize and witness and bring a whole new sense of what the new evangelization means to our world. And I want to invite you to be a part of Franciscan University because I believe our mission is changing the world. I believe we are sending out alumni and impacting the world in powerful ways. And I want you to join you to be a part of that. Pray for this mission of the university. It doesn't happen on our own. All of us here count on you for your support and prayers. But I want to invite you considering coming to be a part of our university, maybe here on our campus in Steubenville, Ohio, or through our online classes. Or maybe join us to be encouraged and inspired through our summer conferences or our pilgrimages to holy shrines around the world. Or I want to encourage you to go to faithandreason.com. Right now, go to Faith and Reason. You can get the handout for the show, but great videos, uh, talks, and inspiration to equip you for the new evangelization. That's the way we have been doing uh, the conferences, the websites, as part of our effort to reach out and serve you. So hope you uh, enjoyed this program and really take this to heart and make your life and the institutions around us an even better place. And until next time, may the Lord bless you and keep you. To download the free handout on today's topic, go to faithandreason.com. Email your request for the handout to presents at franciscan.edu. At faithandreason.com, you can also purchase past episodes of Franciscan University Presents, or request today's free handout and purchase past programs by calling 888-333-0381. That's 888-333-0381, or call 740 Two eight three six three five seven. 683 6357